You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. What's going on, Socks in the Basement listeners? As we know, Chris and Ed have probably bellied up into the homemade nine-foot oak bar south side of Chicago, surrounded by leather couches, flat-screen TVs, you name it, these guys are doing it right. And all that is actually protected by waterproofing solutions. So aren't they doing it right for themselves? You know, they could easily just slip on a pair of Red Wing shoes I tell you, these red wing shoes are so comfortable, I reckon Chris and Ed could walk to 33rd and Princeton, to Cork and Kerry, have an award-winning burger, have some craft beers in the shadows of the ballpark. You know, it's one thing they don't have, though, is a ticket to the Chicago White Sox versus the New York Yankees at the Field of Dreams here in Iowa. They do, however, know someone that does. I'm Jason Hosking. I'm in Dyersville. I've pulled a cold beer. I've pulled up a seat. And Chris and Ed, cheers, boys. We'll speak to you soon. That's not bad for a guy who just called in, you know, from Dyersville. Right, and, and is not a part of the show and doesn't have any scripts in front of him and is able to mention, like, almost all of our regular sponsors in a diatribe. Set up his segment that's going to be later on in this episode. The only thing he forgot was that family waterproofing solutions can be found at familydry.com. And if you mention Saks in the Basement, you get money off. But otherwise, he nailed everything. Right, yeah. He just hit it out of the park. <laughs> so is uh, is this where I just make my exit then? Is no, that... <laughs> you're not being replaced. I don't think... I don't think uh, I mean, it would be interesting, but I, there are times when he Is talks. he the Craig Kimbrell to my Liam Hendricks, even though he's got the Liam Hendricks accent? Yeah, I don't know. He He's... There, he's a great guy. Jason's a great guy, the Aussie yeah. Sox fan on Twitter. And and when I found out that he was able to get one of those very exclusive tickets to the Field of Dreams game, I was like, hey, will you come on the show and talk about it? And he's like, y-, and he, I can't do his accent. I'm not even going to try. But he was like, yeah, mate. And I was like, oh, okay. And he has been hyped about it for the last like week and a half that he's coming on here to tell everybody about his experience. So you're going to hear from him later on in the show. There were a lot of people at that game on Thursday night that didn't deserve to be there. No. Uh, Especially the guy in the Wrigleyville jersey behind home plate and the moron with the Anthony Rizzo Cubs jersey draped over a railing as some sort of display, (laughs) some homage for Rizzo who wasn't even playing in the game for the Yankees. You know, I and you could see, I I actually looked back because what happened was I had to record the game. And, and Same here. Yeah, and here's the thing. I had something going on that night where halfway through, I had a friend reach out to me, and we got into a big conversation, and I paused the game, and it was recording, and I was about an hour behind. And I get going again, and I'm, you know, I, I, the majority of the game, I would say from the third inning on, I was way behind. And my phone starts going off, like, greatest ending ever, and I'm trying to figure out how do they blow this lead. Like, I, I was like, well, hold on a second. We've gotten to the bullpen that doesn't give up leads. How did it become the greatest ending ever? And I'm just, and I'm just. I, I had the same problem because I was, I was like you. I was, like, I was a couple hours behind, and all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm just getting, you know, I, I'm getting texts. Boom, you know, oh my god, that's fantastic. Even my wife, who wasn't, you know, she's sort of half paying attention, and she starts to go to bed. She's like, 
hey, you want to know how it ends? It's really good. You're like, like, no, no, I don't want to know how it ends. But then, of course, my phone gives a push notification. Yeah, that you can't get the phone away And I see the score, and I'm like, ah. Yeah, you got to get, you got to turn off all those. The notifications will kill you whenever you're yeah. watching something on delay. Now, that does not mean, though, that I did not appreciate when I did finally get to the bottom of the ninth, seeing the swagger from Tim Anderson. Oh, well, no. But that, that before we get to that, knowing that it was going to get crazy at the end, I think I paid more attention watching it to the people in the background. And there were people who jumped up and screamed for the Yankee home runs, just like they jumped up and screamed for the White Sox home runs, which reminds me of what happens when Major League Baseball and Fox do something like a World Series or an event like this. The majority of the tickets are given to people who aren't actually fans of either team. Right. And they're just there because they're rich or they're important. And they know somebody and they're there for the experience. And there's part of me that feels like that sucks. Because like well, you, there should have been like a, there should have been more people even if it was 50-50 Yankees White Sox fans and you had a thing that went through the teams where you could win the tickets but you the dignitaries there's just too many people that are back there that you know they they get in there they don't even have a team to root for that's what drives me nuts about but those kind of did, things did you hear the conversation that that they were having around when Kevin Costner was in the booth and they were talking about how many tickets Fox had to give away to people and, and people who are looking at it, you know, and, and coming, you know, coming to Smoltz and coming to these guys and saying, okay, can I get into this game? And you know, they're there exactly like you said, they're there for the experience. These are not White Sox fans. These are not Yankees fans. No. And I know some of those people that were there are hopefully from Iowa and are, are, are not really allegiant to either team because they live in Iowa. What, you know, right. what, what are you going to root for out there? You root for the corn not to spoil. Sorry. <laughs> it's mean to Iowans. Man, but it's, it's mean. Yeah. It's mean. You're mean. You're yeah. mean. At least they're not the, they're, they're, at least they're not Nebraska. At least Iowa is exactly. in Nebraska. If you've driven I-80 to the West Coast before, Iowa's a good state. Nebraska is hell. So at least they're not Nebraska. You know why the corn in Iowa. But I'm, get, I'm getting your point here. You know why the corn in Iowa kind of points to the West, right? Why? Because Nebraska sucks so hard. Exactly. So, there you go. I, I'm getting I'm getting what your point is. There, yeah. there were people there that were fans. We know there were a lot of White Sox fans there. We know that there were Yankee oh, yeah. fans that were there. Yeah. But and, it was just a... Glad. I get annoyed when I see that. And I, it's another reminder to me that as this team becomes so popular, and look, they've had three national games where they have looked otherworldly. Fantastic. They are yeah. capturing the imagination of baseball fans outside of Chicago. Joe Buck is waxing poetic about your team. Why? Because he loves Tony La Russa because Joe Buck is a Cardinals fan. Exactly. So Joe Buck <laughs> so loves that. your team because he loves That's Tony That's why La Russa. he was talking Miguel Cairo up so much because he remembers Miguel Cairo as a player, as a coach, right. as, you know, as all these things. He actually has wistful childhood memories of Miguel Cairo. People are about to latch on. We've been talking about this, and that's going to happen. And what's going to stink is that opportunities to be there in person, when you get to the postseason, it's not going to be as plentiful as it really should be because no. a lot of people who stuck through this when they sucked are now going to have to compete with the people that just showed up at the last minute. But that's what happens when your team is good. And as frustrating as it is, I'd rather have it this way than be terrible. So this is all wonderful. Jerry Don't get me wrong. Spend this is, other people's money. He can spend bandwagon money just as much right, as he can spend mine. Right. Look, this is wonderful. What happened on Thursday night was one of those magical moments that it's hard to describe, but it's the moment that you sit there and say, this team could be a team of destiny. Right. This team is incredibly special. This team is led by stars from top to bottom. Uh, Tim Anderson is a superstar. 
the the way that they talked about him in the broadcast at one point I think John Smoltz or Joe Buck one of them referred to him as one of the most dynamic players in all of baseball he is on the cusp of I think the only thing that could hold him back from being the face of Major League Baseball is he's a man of very few words he's not he's he's extremely talented and he's extremely smart. If you look at the way he markets himself, if you look at the way that he understands like how to push his brand, if you if you look at the way that he leads his team, if you look at his baseball acumen and the idea that he will go with a pitch to right field, he knew what he was going to get in that first pitch of the at-bat when he walks it off. It was an outside pitch, out of the zone, up high, and he knew it was coming, he and knew, he crushed he knew, it. He knew Britain down cold. He is a smart guy. When he talks... He does not come across as like a very well-spoken or like he isn't going to carry a very long conversation with anybody who interviews him. I've started to notice that. Can a guy like that be the face of the of, of Major League Baseball? Well, he's going to be the face of Major League Baseball whether he can or not because Major League Baseball has, has tabbed him as a guy that they want to push out there and for a number of reasons. But I would liken it to the fact that who's the face of Major League Baseball right now? I mean, you, you have... Could be Otani. It could be Otani, who doesn't speak English. Well, no, he does. That was a myth. That was said, that was wrongly said by the person that said that he doesn't speak any well, English. Well, he, he does speak English, right? right. But he is not, he's okay. also not a man and, of, and, of many And words. Mike Trout. I don't know what Mike Trout sounds like. He could sound like Mickey Mouse, for all I know. I've never seen an interview with Mike Trout. So Which would explain knows? why the Angels are, are holding on to him so dearly. But yeah, he could, he could be coming through and going, Oh, hi. <laughs> hi, folks. I wish I played for a I, better team. Not everybody's Babe Ruth is played by John Goodman. Like yeah. that's a- <laughs> Even Babe Ruth really didn't sound like John Goodman made him sound. Right. Let's face it. I mean, right. most of your really good baseball players don't talk very much. No. Shoeless Joe Jackson, the first walk-off home run against the for Yankees. the White Sox ever against the Yankees, which is eerie. Eerie. Yes. That Shoeless Joe Jackson hit a walk-off home run against the Yankees in 1919, the fateful season that leads to the scandal, that leads to eight men out, which later is a focal point of Field of Dreams. And then here's Tim Anderson walking off against the Yankees on the Field of Dreams. Like, that is one of those moments. Again, that's about the fourth time in this show I've gotten chills talking about I know, it's, it, but it's... it's <laughs> and that's the thing, and that's where Anderson, I think, is the face of baseball... You don't need him to say much, okay? Yeah. But the, here's the other thing, too. Think about athletes outside of this sport. Uh, you know, when Michael Jordan's the face of basketball, okay? And Michael Jordan's a guy who can talk, right. right? He's a talker. He's a talker, but when he was an active player and he was the face of, of basketball, you had him saying catchphrases. You had him saying, you know, getting a punchline in a McDonald's commercial, you know, using, you know, an eyebrow raise when, when you know, Spike Lee sitting there uh, going, it's got to be the shoes. You, you've got him in very, very small batches. And that's right. where athletes always do best anyway. So Tim Anderson, he I think. He may be perfectly wired for this. I think Tim Anderson can do the soundbite yeah. bit, and that's what he needs to do. I think he'll be perfectly wired for this. I think he is, he is about to become, and it's crazy to think of that, that the White Sox will have the guy. Well, who's the last time, when's the last time the White Sox really had a player, and I, I, you know, I strain to think of, and I'm talking their entire history, maybe, but I strain to think, at least in the in a modern era, when the last time the White Sox had a guy that was on the national stage considered to be one of the faces of baseball. Yeah, because it always felt like Frank Thomas deserved it, but he didn't get it. But he got overshadowed. Yeah, he always felt like he deserved to be the face of baseball, 
I always, as a White Sox fan, said, why does Ken Griffey Jr. get so much praise when Frank Thomas is so great as a hitter? Or Giambi, for that matter. Who was a cheater. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, like, do I have to say allegedly? You're the lawyer. Do I have to say allegedly that, or is that proven? I think that's been proven. All right, cool. That he's just a cheater. But, but like, like, I, I don't, you're right. If he becomes what it seems like he's becoming... That's incredible, and it's amazing that he's doing it surrounded by the personalities on this team. Because Aloya Menes could be a face of baseball, <laughs> and he probably uh, will Jose be Abreu well, yeah. is the heart, soul, and father father figure of the team. Right? Yeah. You're managed by a Hall of Fame manager. I mean, in fact, when you look back on this team later, if they don't win a championship this year or very soon, it'll be disappointing because this team is full of personality. I'm starting to liken this team. To, you know, remember there was a football team in the 80s that was full of personality at like every position that we yeah. still talk about like 40 years later. I haven't. I uh, As a White Sox fan. I'm trying to think of who that might I be. I know they talk about them all the time. But I think as a White <laughs> Sox fan, like you have this incredible amount of personalities that are doing all of these different things and they're performing under pressure and they're having these incredible moments. You know, this is when you get to sit back and, and enjoy it. Because one day there'll be documentaries about it, I believe. Oh, That's yeah. the thing. You you will one day watch a DVD, a 30 for 30, uh, a, a documentary on this season, I think. I think it's a good possibility if this team goes the whole way, this team will be talked about a lot. You are, This is one. This is a team that has the possibility of doing it. Now, all of that said, Ed, I'm afraid to say those things because they still have to win a World Series. And yes, I, I, I think they can win a World Series. I think they can win a World Series this year. In my mind, I still believe they are the team that's going to win the pennant. Okay? The World Series, I feel like you go in there and you got a puncher's chance. And you hope that the thing goes your way and breaks your way instead of the other guy's way. Yeah, well, and, and all you have to do is look at the National League to, to kind of understand that, one, there's a lot of talent that is they're going to be potentially going up against and just look at the NL West and and what the Padres can run out there what the Dodgers can run out there though they're a little beat up so they're kind of vulnerable you only have like. to face one of them though and you only have to face one of them uh but even the Giants you know the Giants have that feel too this year don't they have a, of a team that seems to be on some sort of destined path like they're not supposed to be here they are the the 89 Indians of major league lore not not the actual 89 Indians um so and I don't know maybe they are peeling a section off of a life size cutout of their owner and I I don't know what that would look like but <laughs> but you you have you know you, you have to to look at those and say okay well how do we match up against them is it possible in a, a seven game series that we could get unlucky and lose to a team like that and the answer is of course always going to be yes but even in two thousand five walking into that Astro series you know I didn't I didn't take a sweep for granted certainly. And I could have easily seen that go seven because all it would have taken was just some of the Astros to get hot. Dumbest thing I ever did in my entire life, me and my dad, had tickets to all the World Series games, didn't think there was any chance the White Sox were not going to win it unless it was six or seven, sold game two's tickets just to pay for the other three Ah. games. I know. Dummy! You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, 
inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry, cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms. Right now at creakybone.com. Our guest today is brought to you by Evil Horse Brewing Company out in Crete, Illinois. They're at 1338 Main Street, uh, an incredible place, just a beautiful bar inside of there. The brewer that is in there is a championship brewer. They have won many, many awards. They have a complete tap list. Sometimes you walk into a place, they got three, four beers on tap and a bunch of guest taps. Now they do everything over there. When they make a German beer and Oktoberfest season is coming up here, when they make an, a German beer, they have a machine that changes the water to be exactly the same type of water you would get in Munich. And then they use that water to make their Oktoberfest beers. If you have never checked them out, they're right at the end of the Dixie Highway Brewery Trail in Crete. Check them out now at evilhorsebrewing.com. You're looking them up? Oh, I'm looking them up. I'm looking at the beer list. Is it good? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, you know, there's some, there's some stuff on here that I, I just, you know... The beer list is making me thirsty. I <laughs> you heard him right here as the show began. Big listener of Socks in the Basement, been on before. He's an Australian. His boy is Liam Hendricks, who had a very rough time in the top of the ninth inning at the Field of Dreams game. And Jason Hosking, the Aussie Sox fan on Twitter, he was at the Field of Dreams game. He is our, our correspondent, our guy who's going to fill us in on what it was like to be there. How are you, Jason? Very good, Chris. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Hey, look, first of all, before we get into the whole experience, your boy was out in the bullpen, and I think that the White Sox should never do an in-game interview again with Joe Buck because that was some bad luck right there. It was a great interview with Liam. When you watch the replay, you're going to laugh your butt off at everything he has to say, but then he goes in and he gives up four runs with two outs in the, in the top of the ninth inning, and thank goodness for Tim Anderson. But before we get to that... Tell me what it was like. Not a lot of people got in there. You were able to get tickets. How did it work? It looked to me like you actually go and see the original ballpark, and then you walk into the corn to take a path to get to the actual MLB stadium that the game was played in. Is that how it worked? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. When we first passed, sort of sat around for an hour or two, having a couple of cold ones. But yeah, you're right, mate. We walked up over the little bridge where the movie site is, and there was... Tons of people there having a catch, getting photos taken. We got the um, the Field of Dreams official merchandise store that they had about 300 people deep waiting to buy a T-shirt or something. Next to that, they had a Budweiser beer vendor, so there was a few people <laughs> waiting in queue for that as well. So we grabbed the cold beer and walked across. We saw Brooks Boyer, had a little bit of a chat to him. I should have mentioned he's... Uh, the little cake and donuts that you you sent him a couple of years ago, but I forgot about that. <laughs> I never got to thank you for all the stuff I sent Brooks. <laughs> so then, yeah, and it was funny because I'm sitting there, we're having a little bit of a look around, and then someone asked me, like, there was a family. They go, how do you get to the field? And I said, oh, don't know. There must be a path somewhere. So we start looking in the, towards center field, and there's actually people walking into the corn, Chris. So we thought, maybe we do have to do that. So, of course, yeah, you walk up, you, you walk about, oh, probably 10 or 12, yeah, a dozen sort of corn stalks. Enough to get the little feel for it, then the path sort of opened up a little bit. Uh, yeah, and you pretty much made your way around. Yeah, and you had the speakers, 
uh, doing the if you build it and go the distance and all that. But they were nicely hidden too, so they were just out in the way. The players cardboard cutouts, if you like, they were standing in the corn, so there was something to sort of look at as you're walking through. Yeah, and then you went a bit further around, like, it was a pretty fair walk to get to, like, the, the stands. Amazing. So, in the in the opening thing, when Kevin Costner walks out, he really, in my mind, he hammed it up and it was really corny. I didn't care. I got chills, especially when they come walking out of the corn. What was the feeling when he goes out there and he takes forever just, like, walking around? Like, was the crowd confused did you were, were you into it? How did you feel watching it? When, when he did that, I, t- I took in the moment. Yeah, I was staring at him a lot, and you know, looking up at the scoreboard because, uh, of course, I had it all out. But man, my main focus was just watching him walk really slow, really slow. And a lot of people had their phones out filming it, but I'd rather sort of, you know, I can watch that on TV. I'm sure they've got it. So I was just watching him, and then when he come to a pause and he looked around. And that's when I got major chills because I had no idea that the players were going to come out of there. I mean, maybe that's just me not thinking with my head. But then when they started coming out, it was just, oh, what a thrill. Like I said, it was goosebumps and just stuff like that. What was, it, what was the crowd like? I mean, the way it sounded at the beginning of the game, it was a very White Sox crowd, especially when Costner refers to the Sox as the first place White Sox and then goes Mighty Yankees and you can hear the boos on TV. But as the game went on, it seemed pretty evenly split. What was the crowd like there? Yeah, I think it got to do, especially, I don't want to jump too far forward, but when Stanton hit that home run, it was like full Yankees. Like, it was like everyone started cheering for that because it was a home run. And then when Timmy blasted it off, it just went the other way around. But I did see a lot of Yankees fans, but, you know, 85-15. I mean, there was a lot of socks, or at least people rooting for the socks uh, compared to the Yankees, but... When Abreu hit that home run, which quite honestly I didn't, I was on a, I was on third base line. It didn't look like it had enough. I thought it was going to come banging off the wall, and then it was gone. So that was almost like a shock home run, you know. Because let me ask you this: you talk about that Abreu home run. You've been to a lot of White Sox games. I constantly see pictures of you. You're at you're at a ton of games each and every year. I don't know where you sleep because you live in Iowa, and yet you're at games <laughs> like day after day after day. And I, I, I yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you do for a living, but you must never sleep with that kind of a drive to get back and forth to the ballpark. But what was your opinion of the way the ball was carrying? It felt to me with no wind resistance out there, everything up in the air had a chance to go out, which may explain why a guy like Liam Hendricks who attacks the zone could give up two home runs that quickly. I don't know if that actually happens in a regular ballpark with buildings and things that knock down the airflow. That seemed like if you got it up there, it was gone. Was that your feeling? Uh, it was after, after, there was one in particular, it may have been Vaughn or even Engel, I really can't remember which one, but it, it didn't look like he had any of it. Well, of course, had some of it, but it was a warning track. I thought, oh, Jesus. But when the ball was halfway in the air, Chris, I thought, this might have a chance. It got caught on the wall or near it, whatever, on the warning track. But the others, the one that they were hitting out to right field, as soon as it went in the air, Chris, you, you just said to Blokes around you, it's gone. Yeah. And, and I don't know how. Like you mentioned, the airflow, there was absolutely none. It was, it was humid. They talk about the balls jumping out of the park when it's humid, but it was it was a dead air. But these balls to right field for some reason. Maybe it's because it was towards the original movie side, mate. Uh, maybe that was why. <laughs> that was it. The the ballpark that the movie was filmed on it, uh, was drawing all of the home, war- home run balls towards it. That's incredible. All right, before I let you go, 
Are you worried about your boy Liam Hendricks after after closing that game? Does it make you nervous in any way, or do you say great game stuff happens? It was really weird the way the ball was jumping out of the ballpark. I'm not afraid. He's still my closer. He's still my closer. I'm not afraid. Stuff happens. Could have used different words there. I know Liam would have. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of concern, especially if you're talking about up against the Yankees in the playoffs when you know they've got their big bats. But, you know, they're going to make the playoffs first. But, no, mate, all I am, all day, close that out. Let's win a World Series. Exactly. That was one of those moments where you sit there and you go, wow, this team can do absolutely anything. Absolutely incredible, and you were so lucky to be there, man. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on and telling us a little bit about it. I get a better feeling for what it was like, and and I, I had that inkling that there was an experience there walking through the original ball field to get to the one that was going on during the game, uh, but uh, you really kind of like gave gave us a, a better picture of what it was like to walk through there. Awesome job. Thanks so much. That's sensational. Thanks, Chris. So I want your take on this. I'm going to make a hot take at, at the end of the show. Hot take time from Chris. Hot takes are brought hot to you by no one. We'll, Nobody. We'll have to find a sponsor. The hot take is not brought. That's another way to sell the show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got to capitalize now after years of this team being bad and nobody wanting to advertise on the show. If like, you, you, if you have hot in your brand name, <laughs> hot takes is available for you. Hot listen, tamales, I'm looking your way. Listen, the, the lineup that came out on Thursday night at the Field of Dreams was Tony LaRusso not being there saying my best players are starting this game. As and they should have. Telling Miguel Cairo this this is your best lineup and that was the lineup right out there. Uh, and that's that's your lineup minus Yasmani Grandal for game 1 of any playoff series with Lance Lynn on the mound. I believe that. Right, that's okay? how it should look. That's how it's going to look, okay? And even in those throwback uniforms, I'd be okay with them starting I'd the playoffs. I'd be fine with that too. Yeah. But the guy that's going to be added into that is going to be Yasmani Grandal, which means your nine hitter Zebi Zavala Will Grandal's not, not be, hitting in the ninth? Yeah, spot. Grandal's not your ninth hit. All right, here's my hot take: If Yuan Moncada doesn't get his act together, he's batting ninth in the postseason. There's so much talent on this Ooh, team. Okay, so much talent on this team. Robert, as he gets it together, is going to force his way further up in the lineup. Yeah, he's, he's already he's a better only, hitter. He's only down there because he's right. just getting his his legs back underneath him. Before literally. he left, he was a better hitter than Mancada was on the season. He's oh, going to prove to be yeah. a better hitter than Mancada. Andrew Vaughn is, is producing a at a right higher now. level and is a better hitter than Mancada. Yes, Cesar Hernandez has been a better hitter than Yoan Mancada. Yoan Mancada continues to look disinterested. I noticed this, especially during the coverage of this team over the last week or so, when national people are asking guys, "What makes your team so special?" And they'll start rattling off players other than themselves that they love. And they all have different guys that they love, right? Even Sebi Zavala. They all, oh, so-and-so is contributing and this guy's contributing. I never hear anybody say Yoan Mankata's name. In fact, no, I wouldn't no, be no. shocked if in the offseason, especially if this team goes out and wins a championship, Yoan Mankata is dealt. Because I this is not a this is not last year's COVID thing. He he's either gonna have to figure out how to turn it on when the games count. Because right now he's taking things lightly because we're up by a ton. He doesn't think that he has to contribute and dive for balls. Steve Stone's been all over him lately. I've heard several times, why is he still on second? He should have been the third. He he didn't put his best effort in on that one. I've heard Stone say it in the broadcast. A lot of us have heard it. It's being observed by people that are around the team the most and being vocalized by the guys in the booth. And the moment that starts happening... That tells you that it's becoming a thing around the team where everybody's aware they're not getting 100%. 
from the former number one overall prospect in MLB pipeline and big time acquisition that's supposed to be a centerpiece in your rebuild. And now that the rebuild is over, he is not the centerpiece of your team. He, he is he is not the superstar you expected him to be, and it's not because he's putting in a ton of effort. If he was putting in a ton of effort, you wouldn't be hearing those things coming out of the mouths of the broadcasters. You wouldn't you would hear people say Yuan is they would be mentioning his name when they were talking about all the other players that they enjoy playing with on the team. I never hear his name. I'm starting to wonder is this a real thing? I, I think it is. And and you know, there there's the other disturbing thing for me is you look at since he's been up, there were struggles, and you could kind of write him off as, well, he's, he's a rookie, he's young, he's getting there. He has that breakout season, and then he comes back last year, and he gets COVID, and everyone's like, eh, down year because of COVID. But he looks an awful lot like he did pre-2019, doesn't he? Well, and- he does. He's actually doing, if you look at his numbers right now, if you did a quick look, you'd be like, oh, he's just doing his career numbers. But his career numbers include 2020 and the terrible 2018 that he had the before when when people were like, he's he's terrible. Like, yeah, he can't he's even make a major good, league team. Yeah. And I have been beating the drum that Yohan Moncada is a star even back when he was hitting in the 100s in 2018 and everybody hated him. So I have always supported him. I got well, a here, yo-yo jersey. Okay, but this is this is not what I expected from no, him. No, and here's where I'm going with this, okay? There's, there's two things at play when somebody just on the shallow look has career numbers that are lower than expected. One is their talent was overplayed and they're not as good as everybody thought they were going to be. And that happens to a lot of prospects where they tear it up in the minors. And for whatever reason, major league pitching can get to them in a way that they couldn't get to them in NCAA in some of the foreign leagues. If, if they are someone who signed from another country or, you know, just rise in the ranks in the minor league baseball, or they have the talent, but they just aren't willing to put in the effort to, right. to, to get it done. And Moncada, we've seen in 2019 what he looks like when he is on his game and what kind of a star he could be. I don't disagree with you that the Sox could move on from him if they don't feel like he is pulling his weight or they don't feel like he's interested or he just wants to be an international pop star Look, or is whatever. He, is he partying at night? I don't know. Is that going to come out later that he's out late? It just doesn't seem like he's on. It's not 100% effort most yeah. of the time. It generally seems like he he's like, I'm here. I have talent. I can lay back on that talent, but he's not like, I don't see the max effort that I saw in 2019 when he had something to prove and people wanted to drum him out of town. So he had to prove himself. And now it's like, he's so comfortable in whatever his role is and wherever the team is, we're not getting max effort again. Well, and and that's why I don't think, I think Rick, Rick Hahn has shown with the magical trade that he can be pretty ruthless about moving on from a guy. If he thinks that he can do better. And you know, not saying that Madrigal was not putting an effort or whatever, but Nick Madrigal, as we've talked about, there's a little bit of a of a lack of dimension to his game. And if Yohan Moncada is not putting in the effort and not showing that he can be the dynamic player he's supposed to be, and you can get something back for him in the offseason that makes the team better, and, and maybe that means finding a spot for Andrew Vaughn in the lineup or finding a spot for Jake Berger, who I, the Sox could have very easily traded or cut bait on a couple of years ago without any, any question. Right. If they think that they've got better opportunities within the organization to fill that third base slot and they can turn Yoan Moncada into something that replaces, for example, a Carlos Rodon, who you may not be able to resign, or replaces 
Cesar Hernandez at second base where you, I think Hernandez is definitely staying next year. The way he's playing right now, if oh, he keeps sure. us up, he's and, staying. And I, and I have no problem with Hernandez staying in, in any way, shape, or form. But if Moncada can be turned into a star in one of these areas, a right fielder, a pitcher, just even a, a group of prospects that are going to make the Sox better for longer, yeah, I think Rick Hahn would absolutely do that, especially if you're correct and the team is looking at this guy going, we watch Jose Abreu bust his ass as a, you know, a, a guy in his mid to upper 30s trying to put himself out there every day and you know just act like a professional. We're watching a guy like Cesar Hernandez you know, go out there, win gold gloves, make changes to his swing and make changes to his approach to maximize his power because that's a better game right now in the majors. We've watched his Monte Grandal get hurt, come back, try and teach Zach Collins how to basically replace him, you know, and, and, and work with the guy to become a better pitch framer and just be a better teammate. We've watched Luis Robert. We've watched Eloy Jimenez try and become a better outfielder. We've watched all these guys, Tim Anderson, try and become the face of baseball, for God's sakes. And they have this guy dogging it at third base. If, if that's what he's doing, if, if he's just disinterested, I, I think Tony LaRusso would want to move on from him in a heartbeat. And I think Rick Hahn would not even hesitate to pull the trigger if he gets the right package. Listen, I, I hate to say a guy's dogging it, but it's starting to become like a thing. It's starting to become like the one cloud over the team is that you're hearing you're hearing chirping coming from your broadcast. You're seeing it for your own self when you're watching games. I went and watched in person. It's very different, his body language and how he's doing things compared to the rest of the team. You hate to say that that's happening, especially during a magical season like this. But how long do you think before Andrew Vaughn is regularly hitting in front of him? Luis Robert is regularly hitting in front of him, and he's sitting in the eight or the nine spot at the end of the year. I think it's really possible. And, and you know, the Steve Stone thing, let me just say this. Go back through his history as a broadcaster. Go back to when he was broadcasting with Harry and the Cubs. Okay, and I know, I know a lot of Sox fans probably did not watch a lot of 80s Cubs games. But as somebody who... Unless you had a grandfather like mine who didn't have cable. Yeah. So that's all his baseball. Or you had a grandfather like (laughs) mine who... A grandfather like mine who was actually a Cubs fan but lived just to scream at the TV. He hated Lee Smith, by the way. (laughs) Hated him. And Jody Davis. Hated Jody Davis. But listen to Steve Stone. Steve Stone, when when he starts sniping about the team or about individual players... He is very rarely wrong. No, he's never assessment. wrong. He, he's fact, Steve Stone. He was so right, right. The Cubs fired him right. and Chip Carey because they were too right. And they're like, we can't have these guys dropping truth bobs because the fans are stupid right. and don't know Look better. how he's rubbing off on Bonetti, who continues to yell about the fact that he's not on the, on the road with teams. Like, it's right. almost like he's probably sitting there saying, Jason, go for it, man. You're super talented. Who cares if they fire you? Exactly. Because <laughs> Benetti's all angry about that as well, man. They fire you. You're just taking Joe Buck's job in a couple <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.